Hey, welcome home. You're watching Legacy Television. I'm Jeremy Pearson. So glad to have you in the house today. So blessed that you're taking time to get into God's word with us. And if you will watch this broadcast today and watch it in faith, I have no doubt whatsoever that God will do in you what only God can do in you. And that is bring change, that is give answers, that is help you find solutions, praise God. And we're gonna find these from the word of God. So do this with me. Let's pray together and then we'll get right back into God's word. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for being you, for being faithful, for being merciful, kind, and gracious. We come before you as a, as a television congregation, people gathered around your word from all places around the world. And together we are in expectation of good to come into our lives from what we see and what we hear in your word today. Lord, I ask you once again for eyes that see Jesus, ears that hear his voice, hearts that understand who we are in him, who he is in us. We believe that we will be changed today by the anointing that's on your word. I speak right now to the people watching this, and I declare that burdens will be removed today. Yokes will be destroyed because of the anointing, because of the spirit of grace, because of God himself going to work on your behalf. Believe that, receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Several weeks ago, we began a series on legacy television that we're calling Faith in the Goodness of God. And I hope that if you've been watching this with us, that you can begin to sense faith, specifically faith in his goodness, begin to rise in you. You know, we talked in the first episode of this series, we talked about being bought and paid for. You know, that, that is the goodness of God towards us, towards all men. He bought us, he paid for us. And nobody can ever say, God hasn't been good to me. Because when he gave you Jesus, the truth is nobody had ever been so good as God was to you right then. He gave you the, the only thing he had just one of, and that was Jesus. And he just gave him to you. But when he gave you Jesus, what he was doing was redeeming you and paying for you. And you are bought and you have been paid for and you belong to him. And that is what puts value on your life and on mine you're worth it. If to nobody else but him, doesn't matter. He paid for you. You're worth it. You know, we talked about the goodness of God and at trying to ask and answer this question. Okay. If God is good, then how good is he? Well, he's as good as you expect him to be. He will be as good as you expect him to be. And if you're looking around in your life right now and you don't like what you see, if there's insufficiency in anything, anything uh, spiritually physically, naturally, um, materially, financially, relationally, any area of your life, if there's something going on that you don't like what you see, ask yourself, okay, what have I been expecting here? Because people are walking in today what they were expecting yesterday. What were you expecting? And God will be good to you, but he'll only be as good as you expect. Now he's able to exceed those expectations, but it begins with you putting that expectation on him and on his word. And of course, we looked at scriptures that backed all this up. But you know, there was this thought that even comes to me now when I, when I think about expecting and what it is to expect. My wife and I, Sarah, we've got two kids. Most of you who know us know this. We've got Justice. He's seven years old. Jesse, she's just turned four not long ago. And um, I, I, I very vividly remember when Sarah and I were expecting, specifically she was. And over the course of nine months, what started as a seed grew and grew and grew and grew. And she 
went the way <clears throat> every woman who is expecting goes. And that, that is growing on the inside of her. And it, it starts as something you can't even see, but then it becomes something you can see. And if somebody were to have walked up to Sarah and say, I don't know, eight and a half months pregnant and said, wow, are you expecting a baby? You know, she wouldn't just say, well, I hope so. What do you mean you hope so? Well, I, I, I hope we are. That's, that, that's not hope. That, that's silly. Of course you're expecting. Of course you're expecting. And I think back on those months leading up to the day before the kids got here, and our expectation translated to our preparation. How do you know what you're expecting? Well, what are you preparing for? Because expectation will prepare. If you're expecting the goodness of God in some area, then you'll start right now getting ready for it. That's what we did when we were expecting, when she was expecting, we were preparing. If you're expecting, you better be preparing. And if you get to a place in your life, like we said, and you don't like what you see going on around you and you think, well, I thought God would do this and I thought God would do that. You think, well, yeah, I was expecting. I was hoping he would do it. No, go back. Look, what are you preparing for? What are you getting ready for right now? Even naturally speaking, you don't have a home. You're believing God for one or you're in a place and you need a better one. What can you be doing right now to begin to prepare for that as a demonstration of your faith in the goodness of God? God's, God's goodness is about to provide for us. I believe it and my belief is sustaining me all the way through this waiting time, all the way through this patience time, but I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. Faith gets ready. If you're expecting, you're preparing. So these are some of the things we've touched on, we've dealt with. But I want to go back today as we begin to wrap this up, and there's more that could be said, but I think it'd be good to wrap it up here. I want to read one more time, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 10, and read all the way down through verse 14. Listen to this again. I like how this starts. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. <laughs> here's, here's a dude, Jeremiah. And this was in the days before microphones. This was in the days certainly before internet. This was certainly before television. This is just a guy with a voice and he's standing out there and by faith, he's speaking to nations. He is speaking to the entire world. And I don't even know if anybody, even another soul was standing out there to hear him, but yet he said it. You know, you got to be the same way. Sometimes you just walk outside your house and even if nobody's there to hear it, you just say out loud, I'm expecting the goodness of God. And that does more for you even than it does for anybody else. And who, you know what? If they do hear it, who cares? They already knew you're weird to begin with. Just back it up for them. I'm expecting the goodness of God. Jeremiah is speaking here. This says, I want you to hear something, planet Earth. I want you to hear something, nations. Declare this in the aisles afar off and say, he who scattered Israel will gather him, keep him as a shepherd does his flock for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. Say it out loud. The Lord has redeemed me and ransomed me from the hand of one stronger than me. That's what God has done for us. That's the goodness of God to us right there. Therefore, or in light of their redemption, they will come and they will sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord. 
You know, God loves songs about his goodness. I hadn't intended to say this to you right now, but here goes. God loves songs about his goodness. And there ought to be songs in our churches and in our services all about the goodness of God. Sarah's written a new song just within the last couple of years, and soon we'll be getting it recorded so you can enjoy it. But it's just a song all about the goodness of God. God has been good to us. God has been good to us. Oh, so good. Simple chorus. But I'm telling you something. God loves songs about his goodness. I can prove that to you with scripture. There was one day a bunch of priests and musicians all got together, something like 120 of them. And the miracle was that day they all agreed on what song they were going to sing. If you've ever been around creative, artistic people, it can be difficult to get them to agree on what song they're going to sing. But all these guys agreed that day, and they all began to sing this very simple chorus. It just said, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Well, that tells me his mercy comes out of his goodness. His mercy flows out of his goodness. And they just sang it over and over and over. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And God, evidently God liked that song because the scripture tells us that the presence and the glory of God so filled that place that the priests couldn't even stand up anymore to sing it. That's the presence of God, heavy. That's the glory of God, heavy. And it got so weighty on them that it brought them down to the ground. That's God coming in the room. God's like, yeah, I like this song. I like it. It's got a beat. I like it. God likes songs about his goodness. Why? Because when you start talking about how good he is, you're tapping into a revelation of his character. And when you're willing to stand up in the middle of a world that curses him and accuses him of violence and murder and making people sick and destroying them and destroying their things and stealing from them. And you're willing to stand up and say, no, he's good. He's good. Then you've tapped into his true character and he likes it. God likes those songs. Worship leaders, sing those songs. Sing about his goodness and let it put a smile on your face. Where in the world were we? I don't know. Lord help us. They shall come and sing, here we go, in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord. For wheat, new wine, and oil, the young of the flock and the herd, their souls will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more at all. Folks, I know heaven's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. I know it. I know it. I know it. It'll be better than we could ever imagine. But this is a taste of it here and now. You can live this life free from sorrow. Your soul can be like a well-watered garden. Just begin to expect the goodness of God. He says in verse 13, the young girls will rejoice and dance, the young men and the old together. I'll turn their mourning to joy. I'll comfort them, make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I'll satiate the soul of the priest with abundance and my people, that's me, that's you, my people will be satisfied with my goodness says the Lord. My people will be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. I like it out of the New Living Translation. He says, my people 
will feast on my good gifts. I, the Lord, have spoken. Anytime you see this notion of satisfaction, in the scripture especially, when you look at it, look around it in other verses and see if you can find some sort of connection to, to eating, to food. I like the way this other translation says it. He, they'll feast, feast on my good gifts. And, and I think many people look for satisfaction. They look for it in their soul and the closest they ever come is a really good meal. You've been satisfied by a really good meal sat down to a meal that just was mm, just so good. You couldn't say anything but mm, 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 mm. just so good, so satisfying. You know, not long ago, Sarah and I took the kids out for pizza one night. Uh, it's a place, um, her brother and his wife, our, our couple of our employees, our team members here, um, they, they love this pizza place. Jordan and Courtney love this pizza place and they are connoisseurs of pizza. So if they love it, you know, it's good. And so we take the kids, we took the kids there one night and we ordered our pizzas. We ordered a couple of them and we thought, well, well, it's a lot of pizza, but we'll take some home. And um, they brought it out and we ate and we ate and we ate and we ate and we ate. And we had a grown-up pizza and a kid's pizza. Now they're the same size, just different ingredients. But Sarah and I ate so much that while the kids weren't looking, we ate theirs. And it was so satisfying. It was so good. And Jesse was like, where's my pizza? We're like, oh, sorry. thought you were done. But it was so satisfying. And you're sitting there going, okay, what are you talking about? Everybody's had good pizza. Here's the thing. Here's what you got to understand. About 14 days before that, Sarah and I had started on this 30-day healthy eating program. So do the math. 14 days in to the 30-day healthy eating, we were done. <laughs> we were like, I'm done, man. I cannot do this anymore because we were just hungry. We were just hungry. And when we sat down at that pizza, it was so good. We were starving and we just ate the whole thing. That's why it was so satisfying. We feasted on it. We feasted on it. What are we talking about here? The soul of man without Jesus is starving. The soul of man without the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And if you're not feasting on that word, your soul is starving. But when you do what you're doing right now, getting the word of God into your life in your own time, sitting in a church that's feeding you, that's feeding you truth, that's feeding you the presence of God, that's feeding you the goodness of God, that's feeding you the word of God. I love it that these are the words we use. You leave church and it's so satisfying and it's like you sat there and you ate a good meal. Jesus himself told his disciples when they went out one day to get him food, and then he began to minister to a woman who was starving in her soul, starving for love. Do you remember her? The woman who had been married and divorced, 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 and now was with a guy who was not her husband. That's somebody starving, starving for love, starving in their soul. And Jesus ministered to her. He talked to her. 
changed her life, changed the whole city. His disciples come back and they said, did somebody give him something to eat? Because something's different about him. He said, no, I've got meat that you don't even know about. He, he was feasting on doing the will of God for his life. So satisfying. I can tell you times in ministry, I, I know sitting here right now, looking into this camera, talking to you, this is the will of God for my life. And there have been times where I've got up from this table when we turned the lights off and I got in the car and I drive home. There have been times where I have been so satisfied. And I get home, or Sarah and I, especially those times we get to sit here together and we do what we know we're supposed to do, just satisfying, to do the will of God. And there have been times where we started, we may have started shooting, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning. We don't get done till later in the afternoon. We get home. It's the evening time. And we look at each other and we're like, did we eat today? Did you have lunch? I didn't have lunch. And we just end up skipping whole meals and almost like we just forgot to eat. Who do you know out there that's forgetting to eat? Everybody eats and very few people forget, but you can get so satisfied. Just like you sat down to a good meal, feasting, Jesus, feasting on the goodness of God. Let me show you this in scripture. Go with me to the book of John, chapter six. A lot of red words here in John chapter six. We're gonna look at some of the things Jesus said, some of the things he did. Familiar passage of scripture to you. But in John chapter six, um, Jesus in verse one, he'd gone over the Sea of Galilee and then this multitude came to him. And in verse Five, it says, Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming towards him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Notice the question there. Where are we going to get it? Where is it going to come from? But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Now, he didn't answer Jesus' question. Jesus' question was, where is it coming from? And Philip said, we don't have enough money. Philip went immediately to how much money they didn't have. And Jesus, I believe, is doing the same thing to Philip that he has done to you and has done to me. You know, it says here, this he said to test him. There's another word there I think you could use, and it would be appropriate. It would communicate the same thing. This he said to stretch him. Do you think Jesus would ever ask you a question to stretch you, to get you thinking bigger, to get you believing bigger? I guarantee you when Philip and the rest of these guys see 5,000 people or more marching their way, none of them thought, hey, we should feed them. We should put some food out for them. That wasn't even in the realm of reality for these guys. And the first thing Jesus says, I want to feed them. I want to feed them. What's he doing? He's stretching them. He's testing. He's stretching. But Philip answered and said, 200 denarii worth of bread's not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. So you can see kind of the way he's thinking. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So 
Both of these disciples, Andrew and Philip, they're guilty of doing the exact same thing, and it's the same thing you've done and I've done. It's when you look at what you have. It's when you look at what you have in the light of what you need. How many of us are guilty of doing that? We look at the need, we look at the insufficiency, and then we look at what we have in the bank, what we have in our pocket, what we have on the table, and we start comparing what we have to what we need and what we need to what we have. And if you only ever look at what you have in the light of what you need, then you'll never be thankful for it. You will never be thankful for what you have because if you look at it only in the light of what you need, then it's never enough. It's never enough. I could probably say to most of you watching right now, I could probably say, hey, who wants a hundred grand? Who in here wants a hundred thousand dollars? And most everybody watching right now would think, awesome, yes, please, I'll take that. Why, that's a lot, that's a lot of money. But do you know that there are some people that because of the size of the need, a hundred grand means almost nothing to them. And that's what Philip said. And that's what Andrew said. They said, we've got something, but it might as well be nothing. Why? You compare it to what you need. You compare what you have to what you need. You start looking at what you do have and you start treating it like it's nothing. And that's a dangerous way to be. But Jesus didn't do that. He said, make the people sit down. I like that. That's a picture of rest. Jesus is going to go to work. Grace is about to supply. So what do we do? Take our rest. He said, sit down. There was much grass in the place. Men sat down, a number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, now, isn't that different than what Andrew did? He said, well, I got some bread, but it's basically nothing. Not what Jesus did. Jesus took it and he was thankful for it. He gave thanks for it. That's where the miracle provision began. He gave thanks for it. He distributed it to the disciples, the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish. Notice this, as much as they wanted. Everybody got as much as they wanted. Now, Philip had on his mind, how are we gonna get even a little bit to him? That's not the way Jesus was thinking. Jesus was saying, give me what you got. Let's be thankful for it. Let's break it. And then everybody got as much as they wanted. Verse 12, so when they were filled, they were satisfied. These people feasted out there that day. And they were feasting, not just on bread, not just on fish. They were feasting on the goodness of God. Jesus multiplied it to him, increased it to him. He was so doggone good. Remember when we looked at that? That's what the word increase, that's where it comes from, that Hebrew word dagon. That's how good he is. Listen to this, I'm out of time, but listen. He said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. So everybody got as much as they want. Everybody got filled. Everybody got satisfied and there was some left over. That's extra. And that is the goodness of God. And what does the scripture tell us about the goodness of God? It draws people. God's goodness to you, God's goodness on you is gonna draw people to you. But they think they're being drawn to you. Really, they're being drawn to him. I'll prove it. Verse 14, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet that came into the world. When people see the goodness of God, they believe. When people see the goodness, they will 
believe. So let them see it in you. Let them see it on you. Walk outside today. Shout it out loud. I'm expecting the goodness of God. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.